Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I've mentioned once or twice before that I am, in fact, an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Michigan. And to become an attorney in the state of Michigan, you have to attend an ABA-accredited law school, which to get into requires that you have an undergraduate degree also. You graduate from the law school, you get a JD, that's the abbreviation uh, for the, uh, the title you have as, as someone who's graduated from law school. But to practice law, you got to get admitted to the bar. So you have to pass a character and fitness examination, and you have to take the bar exam. And the bar exam is a two-day test and is grueling, and just thinking about it right now gives me a headache. So that's the prototypical process. Now, a couple states have got other ways you can get in. California famously has a way you can get in where you apprentice after going to an unaccredited law school, but there's, there's, it's, it's tricky, and not many people do that. Uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, if you graduate from a law school in Wisconsin with a certain GPA and apply and pass the other things, they'll, they'll let you skip the bar exam. The thinking is, well, you went to law school here. You must know some of your stuff, right? <laughs> you graduated. But, but Reuters is reporting now that California could be the next state to bypass the bar exam because a lot of states are discussing doing away with the bar exam and trying to find some other way for people to become lawyers. And there have been a lot of criticisms raised about how fair is the bar exam. And I don't know how fair it is. I can tell you it's a difficult exam. I almost use a different word, but I probably shouldn't say that word on a video. Uh, But it's a difficult exam. Uh, And so, you know, I took it once and I prepared hard for it. I literally blocked out like three months of my life and just said from this point until the day of the bar exam, I am studying every single day. And I would spend three to four hours in a room by myself at a desk with the books just cramming for that exam. And I decided that I was going to throw away three, three months of my life to assure that I passed it on the first try. I know people who failed and had to take it again. I know someone who failed it twice and almost passed both times. Almost doesn't count. So Karen Sloan wrote this article for Reuters. State Bar of California is contemplating a new admissions pathway that would allow law graduates to become licensed without taking the bar exam. The State Bar's Board of Trustees unanimously voted to gather public comments on a proposed program in which law graduates would receive provisional licenses and work under the supervision of an experienced attorney for four to six months while being paid. So you go to law school, you get your JD, and then you go basically apprentice someplace for four to six months, but you'd get paid. These are not unpaid internships. During that time, candidates would compile a portfolio of work that would be graded by the state bar. Those who earn a passing grade on their portfolios would become fully licensed in California without taking the bar exam. Immediately, I look at that and go, okay, there's a problem there. Because a portfolio of work means that you're walking in and saying, I did this. And as you can imagine, it wouldn't be that hard to find some good work that you could put your name on. And now, you might say, but Steve, seriously? Yes, I can tell you right now that as an attorney, in the last month, an attorney called me up and said, Steve, have you ever filed a case involving this? I said, yes, I have. He said, can I borrow the complaint? I said, yes, you can. The complaint is a public record. It's filed in a courthouse where anybody can walk in, open up the file, and read the complaint. I have a copy of it that I typed up in Word on my computer. So I attached the file to an email and I sent it to him. He's going to take that complaint, put his client's name in, all of his own information, and modify that complaint, and then file it in his case. 
Now, that's not considered wrong because I gave it to him so you can do this. But if he'd wanted to, he could have found my complaint on his own and done that, except he would have had to retype it. I saved him the trouble of typing it. And so it's not uncommon for lawyers to borrow work from each other like that because we're not claiming authorship of it in court. No one ever filed a complaint in court and said, by the way, I drafted this complaint from scratch. Thank you very much. Copyright Steve Lightell. No, 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 no. And so you'll see a lot of complaints that you'll, I mean, I, I actually know how the complaints look drafted by my competitors. And I actually know like, oh, that's a complaint drafted by these people because that's what their complaints look like. Here's a complaint drafted by these people. I know, And, and so simply turning in a portfolio of work going, yes, I did this. Um, it's really putting a lot into the honor system. So candidates who choose this licensing path will avoid the heavy expense preparing for the traditional bar exam, a burden that falls disproportionately on historically disadvantaged groups such as first-generation graduates, women, candidates of color, according to a report on the proposal. Supporters told the Board of Trustees Thursday that the so-called portfolio bar exam would lower the cost of entering the profession for public interest attorneys, public defenders, and attorneys working in rural areas. And I will tell you that, I guess, I was wondering how much of an advantage I had, because I don't fit into any of those groups, okay? Um, I did have the luxury of taking some time off to study for the exam. Now, I borrowed money to get through law school, and I was using that money to where I wouldn't have to go out and get a job right away. I could sit there and study, okay? But I understand that if somebody was, you know, like a single parent, for instance, and they were out in the middle of nowhere, and they were trying to study and also get by with the rest of their life, they might have some difficulty there. Uh, It says that doing this will also bolster the number of non-white attorneys Citing research that shows that black and Hispanic examinees have lower pass rates than white bar takers in California. The portfolio bar exam is similar to California's provisional license program, which ran for two years and enabled certain law graduates to practice under supervision while skipping or delaying the bar exam during the height of the COVID pandemic. And I remember that because they, they in the old days, the bar exam was you went and sat in a big room with a bunch of other people and took an exam. And so in Michigan, I took the bar exam in 1991 at the Breslin Center in East Lansing on the campus of Michigan State University. If you ever watch MSU basketball play, I sat fairly close to center court. They set up tables up and down the court from one end to the other. And when you walked in on day one, you looked for your name, and they had a little name tag, almost like a gigantic wedding reception. (laughs) A lot less happiness, though. (laughs) And you went and found your name, and you sat down at your name. And you were allowed to have certain things on the table in front of you, and you were required to have picture ID in front of you. So you take your driver's license set, and you put it next to you. You put your pens and pencils on the thing next to you, and you put everything else away. And... um, that's the bar exam, but there's somebody sitting here, somebody sitting here, and somebody sitting there, and somebody sitting there, and we all sat there. It's all a blur at this point, okay? But all I remember sitting there, uh, it was a house of pain, okay? <laughs> so during COVID, this we can't have people jammed into a room sitting near each other for you know six, eight hours a day. We got to do something. So they did this provisional license program, which they say kind of worked. So it's also similar to a program that they're working on in Oregon, which is awaiting final adoption by the Oregon Supreme Court. 
That program would allow law graduates to become licensed after 675 hours of supervised work and the submission of a portfolio of legal work. Wisconsin allows graduates of the state's two law schools to become licensed without passing the bar. And I mentioned before, I've got a very good friend who graduated from the University of Wisconsin Law School, uh, and he did not get admitted to practice. I said, why not? So I didn't want to be an attorney in Wisconsin. <laughs> I said, you could always put it on your resume. But you'd have to maintain your licensure. New Hampshire allows a small cohort of law students who complete a specialized curriculum to bypass the bar. But California would become the largest state with an alternative licensing program should it move forward with this portfolio bar exam. Program would require the approval of the California Supreme Court. The public will have 30 days to comment on the proposal. The Blue Ribbon Commission on the Future of the Bar Exam considered the creation of an alternative licensing pathway but was unable to reach a consensus on that option. That Blue Ribbon Commission was a joint effort between the California Supreme Court and the State Bar from 2020 until April of this year. The State Bar's Board of Trustees in May directed some commission members to reconvene and develop an alternative licensing proposal. And I'm going to tell you right now that the bar exam was extremely difficult and in many respects useless. (laughs) Don't know what else to call it. Because they make you answer questions on subjects you'll never deal with in real life. Most attorneys within a year or two, if they go solo, for instance, focus on something fairly narrow. I focus on lemon law. But for the exam, I had to study things about wills and trusts and estates and real estate, criminal law. And so I had to study all those things where I was competent enough to answer questions and answer essay questions on very, very nitpicky, tricky things. And of course, I passed the exam, so I learned all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've not done a lot with some of those things ever since the exam. I literally walked out of the building on day two and never actually returned to some of those topics. I don't do divorce law. I don't do family law. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time in my life studying family law because it's irrelevant to my needs. And when people call me and say, Steve, I really like you. Will you handle my divorce? I say, no. I really like you too, but I, don't, I won't do your divorce. It's not what I do. you got to find somebody who does that and let them handle it. And so there's that problem right off the bat. I've always thought that they should have two bar exams, one for criminal and one for civil, and say that lawyers should be allowed to narrow their practice and say, I just do civil law. I just do criminal law. Or I do both if you actually went and did the, you know, both exams. That's something I've always thought they should do, and nobody ever discusses that. And I'm not sure if that's because they don't think the average person knows the distinction, but civil law would be lawsuits. Criminal law would be crimes. So you defend somebody for a crime, you would need to be licensed as a criminal lawyer. Uh, If you want to handle a lawsuit, it would be a civil lawyer. Is there any reason that people need to be both? Now, I will admit I've done quite a few traffic tickets in my life, which are both civil infractions and sometimes misdemeanors. Technically, civil infractions are civil actions, but in my hypothetical there, I think they'd be considered more criminal because they do follow more criminal procedure than civil. However, that's getting far afield. I've always thought that's one thing they could do. The other problem you have is a bar exam traditionally in the past was simply you writing answers to written questions. 
And that's how many tests go. However, written answers to written questions does not simulate what happens as a lawyer in practicing law. So there's two primary career paths for attorneys that come out and go into practice. You can go into government work. I'm not going to talk about that because that's a little different. But I'm talking about a lot of people go out and just immediately go solo. I'm going to hang out a shingle and just handle whatever walks in the door. People who do that do actually need to know more because someone might walk in today and go, I need you to prepare a will. And if you take that case, you got to know how to prepare a will. Somebody tomorrow might come in and say, I need you to handle my divorce. You're going to take the case and you know how to handle a divorce. Guy walks in on day three and goes, hey, I, I'm accused of killing somebody. Can you handle that? Got to know how to handle criminal offense. But also a lot of attorneys actually go and just work for a firm where they're immediately working with other people who've been practicing law for some period of time. They have someone they can turn to for questions, guidance, uh, people who can lend them writing samples. Uh, and so they actually have a slightly easier time of it, but they're not required to know quite as much as the person who's hanging out the shingle. But the real thing is, is that I've seen young attorneys in court who didn't know what they were doing. Because in law school, quite often there's simply one class called trial practice. I taught trial practice. I also took trial practice in law school. And I realized how important it was because it was the only class where you stood up and acted like you were in a courtroom. And so I've spoken to people who went to law school, graduated, got out, and never took trial practice. And I asked them, I go, why didn't you take trial practice? And I, I heard from people who said, I don't like speaking in front of other people. <laughs> okay, as an attorney in court, you're going to be speaking in front of other people. So you need to know how to talk to a judge, how to talk to a jury, how to cross-examine a witness. And I have seen somebody in court who was clearly a recent law school graduate, admitted now to practice law, who did not know what they were doing, screwing things up so badly. I, I, think of, I can think of a specific example. I'm not going to get too heavily into it. But I saw an attorney who was directly examining a key witness in a case. And about halfway through it, the judge stopped him in front of the jury. He said, do you realize that you've done this, 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 and this, and rattled off a bunch of mistakes that the attorney had already made? Now, you might say, Steve, the, the judge shouldn't have done that. No, the judge should have done it. The judge should have done it sooner. What the attorney was doing is showing exhibits to the witnesses. And he went through all the steps for the exhibit, and then he's forgetting to have them admitted. And he put it down and move on to the next one. And after four or five of those, the judge said, um, are you going to move for the admission of these exhibits? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, sure. The judge goes, when? He goes, I was going to do that <clears throat> when this witness is done. The judge goes, and so you expect us to remember everything that was said about exhibit three and exhibit five and exhibit nine at the end of the examination? Because traditionally, you go through the exhibit with the witness, you seek its admission, and once it's admitted, you start asking further questions about it, which this guy had been doing, but he skipped the asking for admission part. So as a result of that, when he's asking the witness all these questions about this exhibit that had not been admitted yet, if the judge denied the admission of it, all of those follow-up questions became worthless. They were a waste of time. And the jury's got to be told, by the way, forget everything you heard about this exhibit, everything you heard about this exhibit, 
and everything you heard about this exhibit. The other exhibits, remember that. And so the judge was perturbed, and opposing counsel stood up and said, well, Your Honor, I was going to object, but traditionally I don't like to object unless it's absolutely necessary. But quite frankly, I wasn't sure what he's getting at either because he hadn't sought the admission of any of these exhibits. And so I suspect that the guy had not taken trial practice uh, or that he didn't work at a firm where they taught him that. And so the judge actually had to stop that portion of the trial. The jury was still sitting there, by the way, and go back through every single exhibit. Because I was waiting for the court to take a break so I could have the judge look at something. So I got to see the entire process. I got to watch the entire train wreck in slow motion. And the judge said, okay, exhibit one. You look at the defense counsel and say, did you have any objections? The guy goes, yes, I had an objection to that. And he says the objection. Now, this attorney has got to ask the witness, okay, go back to exhibit one. And then try to work around it to make that objection meaningless. And they had to do that the whole bunch of exhibits. It took a while. It took a while. And it was just a hellacious waste of judicial resources. And it was also embarrassing for the attorney. And it was also not good for that attorney's client. Because remember, the saying about the attorneys, it's about the clients and their cases. So there's some poor person who's hired an attorney, doesn't realize the attorney doesn't know how to try a case. And halfway through, and I think it may have been the client was on the stand, actually, uh, halfway through the direct examination, the judge stops him and says, you're doing this all wrong. Can we, can, can we do it right now? And so I'm assuming the attorney learned a lesson there. But the point is that court shouldn't be a learning experience for the attorneys. It's where the attorneys bring their learning and do their job. So that's what I worry about. But this situation where they're talking about doing this second pathway where you basically apprentice actually could help the situation I just talked about. Because presumably when you go work for another attorney, you're going to learn some stuff. So if you do go out and hang out your own shingle, you still spent some time, four to six months, with another attorney teaching you stuff. And hopefully an attorney would take you under the wing and say, oh, you didn't take trial practice? Okay, let's walk through how you bring in an exhibit on direct examination. Let's talk about how you cross-examine somebody. And those are all things I think trial practice should be required in law school. But it's not, unfortunately. So this could be a good thing. We'll see what happens. But as of right now, California could be next state to bypass the bar exam. Karen Sloan wrote that for Reuters. Tom sent me notes and said, Steve, I'm going to be one of 20,000 people to send you this. You were, no, you were one of one. Never assume there's 20,000 other people sending me the video suggestions because sometimes there aren't. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. I'm not perfect, but I am a limited edition.